0: What's up, church? You are good? Yeah, let's clap for that. That's good stuff. We, uh, we wanted you to be able to hear from the campus pastors over the next few weeks. So during this series called Scent, um, we're going to have some videos of the campus pastors talking about some life change that they've seen. And we're going to be showing these kind of uh, at every campus. Each campus will get to see these. And uh, just hearing life change that's happening at other places, other campuses that we have. And so um, that was Billy Shiver. Some of you know known him from when he was here uh, working at the Statesboro campus. And uh, some of you maybe have never met him before. But he's over in Vidalia. And it's cool to see God doing such incredible work over there. Um, every Sunday night I get a text and They send it out through Group Me so all of our staff and interns get texts that update us for what happened that day. And it's so cool every week to be able to look and see the salvations that are taking place place across all of these different places. Um, Whether it's Statesboro, Vidalia, Millen, Dublin, wherever it might be to see the salvations and to see people's lives changes, it's absolutely incredible. So you'll get to hear more about that in the upcoming weeks Um, as you get to hear from some of these campus pastors. Well, today we're going to kick off the series sent, and we're actually going to start in Acts chapter 1. Our theme verse for this series is Acts 1-8, but I want us to read verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to kind of use that as a springboard to go to a few other places. Are you excited about the Word this morning? Are you ready to get into it, get going? I'm excited for what God's got in store for us. All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, Anybody named Theophilus in here? Good, right? Um, And this is, the the, uh, author of this book is Luke. He's the one who wrote Acts. He also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And so when he says, in my former book, that's what he's referring to is the Gospel of Luke. He says, "Uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I love that scripture because I promise I'm not going to read like five words and then talk every time. But but I love that part of the scripture because it says all that Jesus began to do and teach, and it's not um, that Jesus was finished doing and teaching. It was all that he began to do and teach. And so what we're going to see today is that it's the Holy Spirit who continued the work of Jesus. The, the, the book of Acts is really about Jesus' work continuing through believers because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them. And so it's cool to see that it was what he began to do and teach, but it wasn't all that he did or all that he's going to do as he continues to work today. It says, until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, they're looking for this physical kingdom to be established. They're thinking Jesus is about to establish it. Now, one day it will be, but right now it's spiritual. They were looking in the wrong way. They were looking, thinking the wrong thing. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and the power that it does hold for us. Thank you that it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, God. I pray it will sink deep into our hearts and produce fruit in our lives, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come now and just be very personal with us today, God. Would you you, uh, work in our hearts in a very real way today, Lord, and draw us close to you. I pray that we would leave here full of you, overflowing with you, God. Um, Even if we came in here dry today, I pray that we leave refreshed and overflowing through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you just speak to us now, speak through me, God, as we go into your word together. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How many of you have ever taken a trip or maybe you've gone somewhere, uh, left the house that morning, going to work or going to school, and you just had this feeling like I forgot something? Anybody ever had that feeling? I have that feeling quite often, and usually when I have that feeling, I forgot something, right? I've gone on a lot of trips, and I'm like, what did I forget? I know I forgot something. Get there, don't have a toothbrush, or forgot my my shampoo, or got there, didn't have my clothes, you know, something a little minor like that. Um, But but we've all probably done that, all had that feeling at some point in time. And I feel like the church should probably have that feeling to a degree, because in a lot of ways, I feel like we have forgotten something. And, and what we've forgotten is not necessarily something as much as it is someone, and we've forgotten the holy Spirit we we've moved away from the spirit of God and and we've become so dependent on what we can do that um, we we rarely even look for the Holy Spirit to move or to speak or to to, to act. And so I don't want us to be a church that is in that way because the Holy Spirit was so important to these earth first disciples. Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit working in them was going to be so important that he tells them not to leave Jerusalem. Don't do anything. Don't start ministry. Don't strategize. Don't build a building. Don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit, until the Holy Spirit has come on you. And I want you to really see the importance of that. I know sometimes when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, people kind of get freaked out because some people call him the Holy Ghost, and so we kind of get weirded out by that, and like, what does that mean? What are we talking about? I know that the Holy Spirit, you can't really see Jesus, we can relate to. God as a Father, we can relate to. The Holy Spirit as as the Holy Ghost is somewhat difficult to relate to sometimes, but the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus was the express image of God, and so that means we can look at Jesus and understand what God is like. Well, look at the, the same way, look at the, the Holy Spirit as is Jesus. It's the third person of the Trinity, right? And so when we look at Jesus, we can understand who the Holy Spirit is. And so the good news is that Jesus promised not to leave us as orphans. The good news is that when Jesus left, he sent back his spirit, another one just like him. But it's even better than it was before with Jesus walking with us. How many of you know it would be pretty cool to have Jesus walking beside you? Like, you're going through you start to get anxious. You're like, Jesus, should I be worried about this? He's like, nah. You know it's good, right? Or you get hungry. He's like, here's here's a sandwich. You know, he just got it all right there for you, ready to go. And so it would be cool. But how much better is it even? And Jesus even told the disciples this. He said, it's better for you if I go away because when I go away, I can send back the helper. And so he says, I'm going away, but I'm sending another one. And this one's not going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to live in you. How many of you know it's a good thing that the Holy Spirit resides in us to lead us, to guide us, to change us, to give us a new heart, to give us a new direction, to empower us to do the things that God's called us to do? I mean, it, it's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. It's an essential thing if we're going to be sent people. If we're going to do what God's called us to do and be the people that God's called us to be, there's no way we can do that apart from the Holy Spirit working in us and empowering us. And that's what Jesus promised. That's what Jesus was telling them. That's what Luke's writing about. He tells them in uh, verse 5, he says, John baptized you with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In other words, you're going to be completely submerged in God. God's going to be, be in you. He's going to fill you. He's going to be all around you. He's going to He's going to basically overflow you. He's going to just be some, you're going to be submerged so much into who he is and what he's like. It's going to be transformational. And he's telling them you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit, completely submerged. It's like when we did those baptisms last week and we submerged those people in water. They came back up in representing new life. They came back up representing um, that their sins had been forgiven. What he's saying is you're going to be so submerged in the Holy Spirit, you're going to come out a new person. It's going to transform your life completely. And so this is something good, right? Is that exciting? That good good to you? Yeah, that's good stuff, right? It's good to know that we have a God who wouldn't leave us as orphans, but who sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, to to dwell in us, and to give us direction. I want you to see this also over in Acts 2, 1 through 4. Because Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, Jesus always delivers on his promises. And so Acts 2, 1-4 through 4 is actually a fulfillment of the promise that Jesus gave them that they would receive the Spirit. They were obedient to do what Jesus asked them to do. They waited in Jerusalem, and then the Spirit of God comes on the day of Pentecost. It says in Acts 2, 1-4 through 4, that when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want you to look at this scripture and not get hung up on the speaking in tongues. Because that's somewhat sometimes that's what this whole passage becomes about. But what I want you to see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit did come. Just as Jesus promised that he would come, the Holy Spirit came, and the Holy Spirit filled these believers. The other thing I want you to see is that when the Holy Spirit came, he came in power. It said that it was a blowing, like the blowing of a violent wind. He came in power to fill the place. He filled them with power. So there was an empowerment that took place. There was also a gifting that took place, the gift of, the, the, of tongues to be able to speak these other languages. Um, it was given. And so they were gifted. And so I want you to see that the promise was fulfilled. I want you to see that they were empowered for ministry. And I want you to see that they were gifted to do the things that God wanted them to do. And this is where I want you to get with this, is that it's not, this, this book is not just, it's not like a history book where we just look at it and go, oh, man, that's, that's so cool that happened back then. Because the reality is these things still happen. This is still for today. The Holy Spirit is still moving today. The Holy Spirit is still working today. And so when we look at this, I want you to see that those same things apply to you. Those same things are for you. That that the Holy Spirit wants to come because Jesus promised that when we became a believer in him, a follower in him, he would fill us with the Holy Spirit. I want you to see that there's still an empowerment that takes place through the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that he fills us. And not only does he want to fill us, but he wants to overflow out of us. And I want you to see that you've been gifted by God to do work, because this is the thing. If we're gonna be sent people, it's gonna be because we have been empowered and equipped by the promise of the Holy Spirit, and then we go and we begin to do the work of God in this community. The problem for the church for far too long is that if the church, the organization, the place, the building, the staff doesn't organize it, it doesn't get done. But I'm telling you, that's not, that's not how it should work. The way it should work is that we are being programmed by the Holy Spirit, not the church programming our lives. See, the church is not this place, it's not this building, it's not the staff, it's not the pastor. The church is all of us together. And so that means that we're on mission 24 seven. That means that we're always being sent. It means we're always going. It means that wherever we're at, when we're filled with the power of the Spirit of God, we've been empowered and we've been gifted to go and do and to see a need and meet a need wherever it's at. Not waiting on the church to program our lives. That's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who understand they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, people who understand they've been gifted, that they've been empowered, who see needs and meet needs in the name of Jesus, and that transforms other people's lives. That's what God wants for us. That's what he wants us to do. That's who he wants us to be, is people who are led and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that is... That is optional is something that is essential, and we take this for granted too much. And see, when Jesus says He wants to fill us, it's not something that just stops with us. For too long, we've been like this—a a dam instead of a conduit. We we we've stopped the Spirit with us. We've stopped God's blessing with us. We. Stop God's work with us. We become the end. When we're not the end, we're a means to the end. We're a means by which God wants to get his blessing to other people. Some somebody's liking it. I like that. Thank you. Somebody's with me. That's good to know. And so, but but the thing I like about that is that that we're no longer called to be a dam of the Holy Spirit. We're to be a conduit. The, the, the Holy Spirit is to flow through us. I want you to see how this works. If you look at John chapter 4, John chapter 4. We talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to hit it real quick again. John chapter 4, Jesus runs into a lady, a Samaritan woman. Jews and Samaritans didn't get along, so Jesus and this lady weren't supposed to really interact. But he runs into her. It says in verse 4 of John 4, Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came down to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. See, the woman's looking at the obstacle in front of her. She's not looking at what Jesus wants to do in her. What I want us to do is to be able to get our eyes off the obstacles that we think is going to keep us from becoming what God wants us to become and get our eyes on the one who can remove the obstacle and get us to the place he wants us to be. That's the thing we need to do is quit looking at the obstacles and letting the obstacles dictate who we're going to be or what we're going to become when we have a God who says, if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, that we can move mountains, right? And so she's looking at the obstacle. You don't have anything to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty again and and have to keep coming here to draw water. And, And so she's missing the whole point. But I think we oftentimes miss the whole point as well. Jesus is trying to tell her, look. If you'll trust in me, if you open your eyes to see who I am, if you'll put your faith in me, if you'll if you'll become a disciple, if you'll follow me, if you'll put your trust in me, then I'm going to give you something that's going to satisfy you like you've never been satisfied. If you keep reading, you find out the lady had been married five times. She was living with another man. She was not still not satisfied. What Jesus is trying to show her is that I'm the one who can satisfy you. He's trying to say, listen, I, I'll put my Spirit in you. It's It's going to well up in you um, to eternal life. It's going to be something that satisfies, that quenches your thirst forever. It's going to be something that, that you've never experienced before. And I wonder how many in here have experienced the grace of God in such a way, the outpouring of God's Spirit in such a way that it truly satisfies. It's kind of a funny thing because once you get a taste of it, you always want more. So it's satisfying on one hand, but you long for more of it on the other. And so what we need to do is be people who are being filled with God's Spirit, who are pressing into Jesus, wanting to know Him and realizing that He wants it to well up in us. He wants to fill us with the Spirit. But it doesn't stop there. If that's not not good enough, listen, God wants to do more. There's more that God wants to do. So look at John chapter 7. So we see there that the Holy Spirit... He promises it will fill us, it will satisfy us, it will be our, what we need it to be, it will, will quench our spiritual thirst, it will satisfy our hearts in the deepest places. But in John chapter 7, Jesus has gone to the, the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a festival that they have every year, and so it says on verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to later receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But Jesus says this, he says, whoever believes in me as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so I want you to see this, that this is really even taking it a step further. He's saying, not only am I going to fill you, not only am I going to satisfy you, but I'm going to do such a great work for you. I'm going to do such a great work in you that I'm going to then do a great work through you. And so we see that the fills us it comes in to satisfy us but it doesn't stop there we don't block it there it begins to flow out of us and it's not a situation where Jesus wants us to be filled up and then poured out filled up and then poured out it's a situation where he wants us to be filled so much that there's an overflowing of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives does that make sense and so God's wanting to, to overflow our lives with His presence, with His power, with the fruit of the Spirit. And when we begin to have that overflow of the Spirit of God in our lives, it begins to touch the people around us. We begin to see the, the, the atmosphere uh, where we're at, where we work, where we live, whatever it is that we, we do, whatever it is that we touch. Remember, uh, growth equals change. And so as the kingdom grows, as the kingdom grows, overflows out of us. It touches things and things begin to change to the glory of God, that, that, that things begin to be transformed as the Holy Spirit overflows out of our lives. And so we don't get caught or get stuck at this place where we see ourselves as the end. I believe this, that God will continually give us what we're willing to give away. If we're willing to be a blessing to others, God will continually fill us. He promises that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give him to us because, and give him to us generously, abundantly. We just have to want it. We have to desire it. And I'm wondering this morning, like, do you want the power of God in your life? Do we want the power of Jesus working in us? Do we want Jesus to, to somebody ought to back her up because she's somebody's liking it. So, and and do, we, do we really want Jesus? Do we really want Jesus in our lives? Are we hungry for God? Are we hungry for him? And Because that's the big question. Because let me tell you this, I'm not, I'm not interested in us being a church that just goes through the motions. I'm not interested in us being a church. I'm not interested in pastoring a church that just settles for ordinary. I think God does extraordinary things and I wanna see him do extraordinary things. I believe the power of God is still working today. I believe Jesus was a healer 2,000 years ago and he's still a healer today. I believe Jesus was a deliverer 2,000 years ago. He's still a deliverer today. I believe Jesus was breaking chains off of people's lives 2,000 years ago. He's still breaking chains off of people's lives today. I believe the Holy Spirit was doing incredible works in people's hearts 2,000 years ago. He's still doing incredible works in people's hearts today he's still working today he's still the same God he was then he's the same yesterday today and forever he never changes and so he's still working in people's lives in these ways but are we hungry to see him because I don't want to waste my life doing ordinary church when God's called us to do something that's extraordinary there's no That's. listen that doesn't even make sense right that, that is, We might as well go fishing on Sunday morning if we're just going to come and go through the motions. But if we're hungry for God, I believe that God will do incredible things. We've already seen a lot of amazing things. Last week we saw that the video that showed that there had been 833, I think it was, baptisms since 2008. That's incredible. We saw 60-something more baptized last week. How awesome is that? But guys, I'm telling you, that's the tip of the iceberg of what God wants to do. Peter preached one message in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people got saved, right? That's the power of the Spirit of God moving. I was thinking about it this morning because, you know, they call it the Sunday after Easter letdown Sunday. That's what it's known as in church world because, you know, you come in on Easter Sunday, everybody's jacked up, and Jesus is alive, and the tomb is empty, and everybody's pumped up, and then it's like he went back in there on Monday. I don't know why people get like that, but it's like he just decided to go back in and roll the stone back in front of the cave right and it's like that's not the case and so so there should be no letdown but I looked around and you know there's empty seats last week there were especially at nine o'clock, there were no empty seats, right? I mean, it was there was nothing. At 11, there were very few empty seats. And I look at it and I see the potential, but that's just the beginning of the potential of what God can do. People listen to me. If the Spirit of God is moving in this place, people are going to come because people need the presence of God in their life. They need God to work in their hearts. They need God to set them free from all kinds of things. They need God to produce the fruit of the Spirit. They need God to heal their marriage they need God they just need God period and so with the presence of God and I'm telling you we need to long for the presence we need to hunger for the presence because the church being effective is not found in a program the church being effective is found in the presence of God it's not we don't need another committee we don't need another program we do four things here we do Sunday morning kids and youth uh, connect groups and missions and outreach. I think that's all you need as long as the presence of God is in those, as long as God is working in those things. I don't think we need another program. We need the presence of God. That's what we need. We need God to move and work and, and, and to do what only God can do. And so we look at that and if we're hungry for him, I believe that we'll see God move in a mighty way. I want you to turn, if you have your Bibles, to Isaiah chapter 58 we're going to finish up here but but we got to want god we got to long for him we got to pray for him we got to ask for him today if your heart is is not that i'm hungry for god then ask him because this is what i know ask him to change your heart this is what i know the bible promises that if we'll hunger and thirst for righteousness that we will be filled I think that righteousness is as much a person as it is something that we become because Jesus is our righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for Jesus, you will be filled. He will fill you with all of his goodness. He will fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit. He'll fill you with all of his blessing. And and, and that's something that I believe with all of his power, all of his presence, all of his purpose in your life. But we gotta hunger and thirst for him and go after him and long for him and want more of him as a church. Listen to Isaiah 58, because I think this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. I think this is where we need to get to. Isaiah is, is uh, one of the major prophets. Um, he's the first prophet in the Old Testament, uh, as far as the books go that we read. If you found Psalms, uh, go to the right, and you'll eventually run into Isaiah. Um, but, but he says in Isaiah 58, this is God speaking to Isaiah. He says, shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. In other words, what he's saying is I want you to make this loud and I want you to make this clear. I want everybody to hear it because this is important. And so he's telling Isaiah, don't hold back the message. Let the message roll forward. And I want you to, I want you to say it loud and clear like a trumpet playing, letting everybody know it's time for war. Let Make a clear sound and do what, what you are called to do. And so he's giving Isaiah this this command or this charge and he says declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins and at this point Isaiah's going dang man because as a preacher like you get to the scripture that's about the blessing and you're like man that's that's easy to say but you get to the part about the rebellion and the sin and you go man they're going to throw stuff at me right And so Isaiah is given this message that's supposed to be loud and clear. It's about their rebellion, about their sin. And what's funny is as we read this, you're going to see that these people weren't necessarily bad people. They were just missing the point. And so God tells Isaiah, proclaim this loud and proclaim it clear. Verse 2, he says, for day after day they seek me out. You look at that and you're like, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? He says, they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near me. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And so when you look at this scripture, they're doing some really good things. But the problem is they're doing these religious things Wanting God to bless them. And the thing is that they were trying to manipulate God. Basically they were doing religious actions for personal gain. It was a thing of if we do X, Y, and Z, God will have to do this. If we do X and Y, God's got to do Z. If we do A and B, God's got to do C. And so they're trying to manipulate God to do what they want to do instead of being obedient to God for what all he had already done. And listen... As us, as, as Christians, if God never did anything else in our life, uh, wouldn't what he's done already be enough to praise him and be obedient to him forever? And so when we look at this and really see it, what he's telling them is, look, you're, you're doing all this stuff and some of it's really good stuff, but you're doing it for the wrong purpose. You're doing it so that I'll bless you. You're doing it and you're seeking the blessing, but you're not seeking me. They were, making the, the, they were missing the point. The point to them was doing the religious things so that they could get the blessing. And I see this so much in church. I see it so much in church life where it's almost more of a superstition than it is Christianity. Because we think if I go to church and say our prayers and and do this and do that and do this other, God's going to do this. In fact, it's almost like we think we can get God with one arm behind his back and force him to do what we want him to do, to manipulate him, to be what we want him to be. And that's not the case. We're called to be obedient no matter what. We're called to be obedient to God. and, and, And listen, living for God out of what he's already done, not out of what we want him to do. And so we become obedient to him in that way. He says, they ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near, but there's no hunger. It would be another way to say it would be that their lips are proclaiming him, but their hearts are far from him. Today, are we looking at God as like a cosmic Santa Claus? Or are we looking at God as who he is, the God of the universe that offers us a relationship with himself? How do we see it? What is it for us, to us, who is he? He says, "Why have they, they say, why have we fasted and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet he says, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. This is how we know they weren't drawing near to God. Their hearts weren't being changed to be like God's. They were doing the religious stuff, but they weren't, their hearts weren't being transformed. We talked about last week how religion can't transform your heart. And this was what's happening for them because they, they're just doing what they want to do. They're not doing what God's telling them to do. They're not drawing close to God. They're, they're, they're doing these actions, and then on the fast day, they just do as they please, and it says, and even exploit all of their workers. He says, your fasting ends, this is kind of funny, in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists, because here's the thing. What happens when you start getting hungry? I don't even know, at least for me, what happens. When I start getting hungry, I start getting irritable, Right? And so you take these unspiritual people, people who are just removing food from their life, not putting God in their life, and by the end of the day, they're ready to kill each other, right? And so he's saying, you're doing this for the wrong reason. He says, you can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? In other words, he's saying, You've gotten so good at this that when it's time for the fast, you know how to how to act. You put on the sackcloth, you throw ashes on your head, you you do the right thing. You you even know when to bow, as a reed bows when the wind blows. He says, You even know when to bow, you know how to go through the motions, you know how to go through the actions, you know how to how to do the right thing. But he's saying, You still aren't coming to me. You still don't know me. What they don't realize is that this fast or this worship, it was a means of coming into God's presence. It wasn't the end. The end was God. The end was to get to God. They were using it as the end itself. And so God says, is that what what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? And then in verse 6 it says, is not this the kind of fast I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? So he's saying, look, if you're really pressing into me and I'm really in your life and I'm really working, this is the kind of things that you're going to do. He's saying this will be the fruit of your life, that you're going to loose the chains of injustice. You're going to untie the cords of the yoke. You're going to feed the hungry. You're going to shelter the, those who have no shelter. You're going to see the naked and you're going to clothe them. And you're not going to wait on somebody to program that for you for you to do it. You're going to see a need and meet a need because God's working in you. You're going to see a need and meet a need because God's working through you. You're going to see a need and meet a need because John chapter 4, the Spirit of God is welling up inside of you, You're going to see a need and meet a need because John chapter 7, the Holy Spirit is flowing out of you into the lives of other people around you. And he's saying this is the type of fast I'm talking about. This is the type of action I'm talking about. But this type of action comes from engaging God. It comes from knowing God. It comes from God transforming our hearts. And he says, basically, just just take care of people. Love people like I love people. See a need, meet a need. And that's what... He calls us to do. If we're going to be sent in this community, that's how we're going to be sent. We're going to be sent by the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us along the way to do what he is calling us to do. One of the biggest mistakes we make is we'll do something like service week or the church as a whole will do something. they go on a mission trip or do service week. One of the biggest mistakes we can make is to spend the rest of the year, the other 51 weeks of the year, patting ourselves on the back as though we've done something. God calls us to do this 52 weeks out of the year, not just one week where we can feel good about something we did. Service week is awesome. We'll send about 80 or so connect groups out into the community to do different works. It, it impacts the community. We hear incredible stories every year from doing service week and service days and things like that. But that should, listen, that should be like an appetizer for you for the rest of the year, that when you go and get a taste of that and you see God working in you and through you and in the lives of other people, that it inspires you, it moves you to do that Fifty, the other 51 weeks out of that year to continue moving and going. And then, listen, he says, if you press into me then these are the things you're going to do. If you press into me and you get your, your your order right, not that you do the religious things and think I'm going to bless you, but you really come after me, he says, then I'm going to bless you. He says, then your light will break forth like the dawn. He's saying, in other words, like, like the sun coming up in the morning, there's going to be new life. It's going to be a new day. You're going to get a new start, a fresh start every day. Your light's going to break forth like the dawn, bringing new life to you, bringing new life to those around you. He's going to bring new life into us. And he says, and your healing will quickly appear. In other words, there's going to be restoration that takes place. There's going to be restoration in our lives. Restored back to, to what? What are we being restored to? We're being restored to the image of Christ, what we were initially created for anyway, to be more like Jesus he says, then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. He's saying the righteousness of God's gonna prepare the way for you. The Bible tells us that God's already prepared good works for us to do. He says, listen, if you'll if you'll do this, God's, God's righteousness is gonna go before you. He says his glory is gonna be your rear guard. How cool is that to know that God's got our front, to know that God's got our back. And if God's got our front and God's got our back, then what do we have to worry about in the middle? Nothing, nothing. I wonder how many times, how incredible is it? How awesome is it that that, that God is watching our back? I wonder how many times, and you think about how many times has God protected me when I didn't even know that he was protecting me, right? How many times has God looked after me when when I was living stupid? And even today, you know, I can still be prone to do stupid things uh, that God has just watched after me protected me when I didn't maybe even know it. I think about it in regards to my six-year-old. How many times have I protected him and he has no clue? Every time we walk out of a store going into the parking lot, first thing I do is I grab his hand. Why? Because I know my six-year-old. He'll be running around there uh, like he's lost his mind, uh, you know, probably hurting cars, cars not hurting him. But, but I know where he's gonna, what he's going to do. He's going to take off and so I grab his hand. How many times has he, has he been doing something and bent down to pick something up? And I look and he's about to stand up and hit his head on something. And I stick my hand in between his head and, and whatever it was he was gonna hit. And he has no clue. He just looks at me like, why are you doing that? You know, but how many times has God protected us, looked after us, been our rear guard uh, that, that we don't even really realize that we should praise God for all the times that he's done this for us, for, for being our, our front, for having our back, for doing all of those things for us, for being that kind of God. He says, when you come to me, this is what you can expect. You can expect that security. And then he says, and then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. He promises this. He says, when you come to me, when you call on me, he said, I'm gonna have intimacy with you. I'm gonna be your guide. I'm going to hear you call. I'm going to hear you cry, and I'm going to come to you. I was thinking about this as I was talking about it at 9 o'clock service, and it was moving to me to think about the dark times when, 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 when things maybe aren't going so well, when, when you're in a difficult situation or circumstance, and, and it's dark, and it seems like like maybe all hell is breaking loose in your life. And he says, then you can call on me, and I will hear you'll cry for help and I'll say, here am I. And that's a promise from God that we have that even during the dark times, he says, I'm there. When you cry out, I will be there for you. And, and, and I love the thought of God being there for us when we call because that's what he wants to do. He promises if we'll draw near to him, that he'll draw near to us. He says, if you'll do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, in other words, just quit tearing people down, treat people the right way. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, he says, then your light will will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And so he's saying this darkness is going to flee. Just like the darkness flees when the sun comes up and at noonday there is no darkness. He's saying, listen, I'm going to set things in order. I'm going to put things right. I'm going to let my light shine on you. He says the Lord will guide you always, giving you direction. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He says, even in a sun-scorched land, I'm going to provide for you. He says, and will strengthen your frame. In other words, I'll give you perseverance. I'm going to help you along the way. And then listen to this. I love this. He says, and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Think about being a spring whose waters never fail. You can go to a spring and you can always count on having water. And I love that thought because if you take that with John chapter 7 and the overflow of God's spirit into the world, what does that mean? It means people can come to us. And experience the spirit of God. People can come to us and we can give them something to drink. Jesus working through us can give them what will satisfy them in their spirit. At the deepest part of their being. That that people can come to us and we'll be like the spring to them. Being able to give them the good news. Being able to give them courage. Being able to help them find peace in God. Being able to help them along the way by helping them persevere. And doing all of these things as God's working in us and God working through us as we're going and being sent people. The last thing he says is, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets and dwellings. This whole section, that last verse, verse 12, basically what he's saying is, This is going to go on for generations. What's been torn down is going to be rebuilt. And for generations, this is going to happen. And and, and what I want you to see is that the things that God does through us now, it has an impact that goes on. It excites me to think about this. That the things that 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 God's doing in me, that the things that God's doing through me, that the things that God's doing in you, and the things that God's doing through you, are going to impact generations to come. Are going to impact my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren and their children and their children as an ongoing legacy and an ongoing movement of God that, that I believe in my heart God wants to do to continue moving down the down the line to continue seeing generation after generation transform by the power of God. See, I don't believe this. I don't believe our kids have to go off and live like hell one to one day come back. If they do, that's fine. I believe that God can grab hold of their heart right now, even in middle school, even in elementary school, even in kindergarten. I believe that God can grab hold of their heart right now and get them on a track to live for Him. I believe they're not going to be perfect. I don't expect perfection, but what I do believe is that our God is big enough to transform their heart and put them on a path to live for righteousness every day of their life i I, I just believe it i i have to believe it in faith with my six-year-old but i believe it right it's it's good god's good and god wants to fill us he wants to overflow us into this world that is so thirsty for something real guys we got to be real with this they're thirsty for something real something authentic we want the real thing, I want the real thing, the power of God are you hungry today for the power of God are you thirsty today for the power of God because if you hunger and thirst for righteousness you'll be filled it's a promise of God just like it was a promise to those first disciples in the book of Acts it's a promise to us that God will fill us God will satisfy us God will overflow us we just got to draw near to God we just got to draw near to God there's two two things I think about with this one is that when you're saved when you are saved when you put your faith in Jesus you begin to trust in Jesus for the first time in your life the Spirit of God comes and fills you you are given the Holy Spirit when You give or given the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit of God at that moment. There are also subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit. You see in Acts chapter 2, these people are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, that the people are filled again with the Holy Spirit. So there's a constant filling so that it overflows out of our life. Um, Ephesians 5:18, it says, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. When it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means being filled. In other words, it's a continual thing, a continual happening, to be being filled with the Spirit of God. And so when we look at that, I I want you to understand that because I think there's two two places we can be today one is some of some of us in here need to come to a relationship with jesus so that we are filled with the holy spirit for the first time so that god is able to rule and reign in our lives to flood us with the spirit and then for others of us in here we maybe need to come to a place where we are being refreshed again by the holy spirit overflowing with the spirit of God because maybe we came in dry maybe we came in thirsty maybe we came in hungry but I believe that God wants to satisfy that in us through himself and so today my first question is this if you're here and you've never been saved but the power of God is working in your heart and working in your life now and you say say that Today would be the day of salvation for you, that you want to know the Lord, that you want to be in a relationship with God. But you've never had that. The Spirit's never filled you. You've never had a change of heart, a heart that's bent towards God, a heart that that loves God. But, But today, God is calling you to himself. In other words, today is the day of salvation for you. And I want you to acknowledge that today before God and before us so we can celebrate with you and help you take your next steps. If you're here today and today's a day of salvation, you're putting your trust in Jesus for the first time, then I'm going to ask you right now, would you raise your hand and say, that's me today. I'm coming to faith in Christ today. One in the back. Amen. 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 We got a gentleman in the very back back there. Somebody would be willing to pray with him. That'd be awesome. That would be good. Who else? Today's the day. I saw two hands. Who else? You know that today's the day for you, that you go from death to life in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Sir, would you stick your hand up real quick just so they can pray? There's another. That's good. That's awesome. Praise God. We just want to pray with you just to, just to help you take your next steps of faith. That's good stuff. Praise God for that. But here's the next thing I want to do I want to give you this opportunity. Maybe you came in dry today, thirsty. Maybe you came in and feel like you were far from God, a million miles away. Well, the good news is if you'll draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. The good news is that if you'll say, God, I need you, He's going to meet you here today. And so. I wanna ask you this. If you're here and you know I need to be refreshed in the power of the Spirit of God, then just a moment I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna ask you that you move. I'm gonna ask you that you would get out of your seat in an act of faith, walk to the front of this altar, get on your hands, get on your knees, get on your face, whatever it is for you that you need to do. Respond to God the way he's prompting you to respond and, and allow God to fill you again with his Spirit. Allow him to overflow in you. Listen, He, he he promises if we ask him for the Holy Spirit that he's going to give him to us. He's going to give him to us. So I'm encouraging you. As I pray you move and you come and let God, let God minister to you. Let God work in you. And then let God work through you as we go out of these doors and become the church that we were called and created to be. Let's pray, God. I pray you move. God, thank you so much for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you that you overcame that death and that you have given us new life in Christ. God, I pray that you would just continue to work in a mighty way in this place. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you. Jesus, thank you that you didn't leave us orphans, but you sent another. You sent the helper. You sent the Holy Spirit to live in us and to do in us what we couldn't do on our own. Thank you for that. Thank you. Holy Spirit, would you move in our lives? Would you you break down walls that we've built up? Would you Point out sin, convict of sin that needs to be repented of so it doesn't hold us back from you. God, would you work in us in a mighty, awesome way, Lord, to do incredible things in this community. God, send us. Here we are. Send us into this community. Give us opportunities to show forth your love to others. God, I pray that for every person in here that they walk out of these doors refreshed and filled with the power of your spirit and ready to go and to take on this world for you because we know we don't go and take it on alone. I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. They're going to pray here. I ask you to